The reading tonight is on page 1172, and it's Galatians chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thanks very much. Well, we're going to be focusing on verse 22, though, on a part of verse 22. This is uh, the fourth of a series of four sermons on that passage. And this evening, we're towards the end of verse, uh, well, actually, verse, it's the end of verse 22 and verse 23. So, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The focus this evening is on faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And uh, in case you haven't been here uh, for previous sermons, just a a brief recap, and then we're going to look at those final three elements of this singular fruit of the Spirit. But first, let's pray together now. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand your word together now as we focus once more on this passage. Please, Lord, remind us of great truths that we uh, do know but perhaps need to be reminded of. Please teach us new truth as well from your word, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is produced by uh, the Spirit of God working in our lives. So our new nature grows and our old nature uh, the, the sinful nature, uh, the sarks or the flesh. The sarks is a Greek translation of the word. Uh, it's a Greek word translate, which we translate flesh, which means our old nature is that shrivels and dies. And as Christians, there is a war on in our lives as Christians. But we want the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives, don't we? And how's that going to happen? Well, first, just have a look down at verse 24. The fruit of the Spirit will grow in our lives. When in verse 24, first, we belong to Christ Jesus. When we've made that decisive commitment to Jesus to become Christians. Second, uh, the fruit of the Spirit will grow in our lives as we crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. A one-off, decisive putting to death and saying, this stuff has got to go. It's got to be out of my life. This old, uh, the life of the old nature. 
And then in verse 25, a little bit more with this at the end of the sermon, uh, he says there, since we live by the Spirit, in other words, since we live because the Spirit has made us alive, let us keep in step with the Spirit or be lined up with the Spirit. Uh, And so as we line up with the Spirit and as we are gods and as we crucified the old nature within our lives, we're executioners, we thought last time when we looked at this passage, then uh, uh, we will trust and as we pray that God will be growing this Spirit in our, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But as we turn to this now, uh, first, um, a reminder. So we're looking at real fruit. And first, uh, a reminder uh, about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and three things. First of all, just to note that it's gradual. God is patient. God works in our lives through over the years, throughout our lives. He's in for the long haul. And just like things growing in your garden, you don't kind of see them growing, although they're actually growing pretty fast at the moment, like your grass and so on. Um, but you don't actually sort of watch it and say, oh, yeah, you can see it going up, can't you? But it's, it, is, it is gradual, isn't it? As things grow, so it is with the fruits in our lives. But it's not just gradual, it is actually also inevitable. Uh, It's what God does by his Spirit in the lives of ordinary believers like you and me. It is inevitable that as we're Christian people, as we've crucified our old nature, as uh, uh, as we line ourselves up with the Spirit, that actually God will grow these things in our lives. Expect it to happen. Expect to see it in the lives of other people here in our church. Third thing, it's internal. That means it's, it's unseen, it's deep work. Um, and this fruit that we see on the outsides is proof that we're alive on the insides. But this is uh, evidence of what God is doing deep down in, inside your soul and mine. And we may not be the first people to notice it, but we certainly rejoice when we see it in the lives of uh, one another, which is partly why you've got the noughts and crosses sheet that Dave mentioned at the beginning, because some of those people who are right down there will be people, say, who are here tonight. They may be from Christian history, or they may be someone you knew in the past, but I reckon there will be people we know within our own church who would want to just jot down. They might just want to use their initials or something, but just to remind yourself and to thank God for them, that for you, they're showing those fruits in their lives. And then the other thing about the fruit of the Spirit, it's fruit, not fruits. It's singular, not plural. It is one bunch and uh, so it's no good saying, well, I'm, I'm actually um, I'm quite loving, but I don't have much self-control. Because we want to say that, Lord, please do you grow all this one bunch of fruit in my life. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, oh, it's forbearance here, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, and self-control. Please, Lord, I want all those nine in my life. And I don't want to be deficient in any of them. So please, Lord, would you be working that in my life. Now we're going to look at the last three this evening. So just a a bit of a reminder, uh, uh, first of all. And now we're going to look at the last three. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the first of these, faithfulness. Strictly, actually, uh, the word is faith. And it includes the idea of fidelity. And it's got this idea of fastening yourself to something or someone. A bit like, uh, you know, you go down to the the sea and uh, uh, you go to a groin and there's a a limpet or whatever they are that kind of fasten themselves on. It's really difficult to prise them off. That's the idea here, that Christian people should be those who fasten themselves in loyalty and faithfulness to those 
to whom they're committed. Now, of course, primarily, it will be to God in terms of our Christian faith. But also, we're thinking of, uh, uh, of loyalty, say, to, uh, to other people, other human beings. It will mean, for instance, that as Christian people, we'll want to be um, faithful to our words. So, if you, so as Christian people, if you say you're going to do something, do it. It's simple. Okay? If you're saying you're going to go and, and see someone for a, go out to cinema with them or something like that, um, then that's what you're going to do. Okay? You don't just suddenly say, oh, no, I've had a better offer for Friday night. You know, some other friends have invited me uh, out for a party or something. No. It's Christian people. If you said you're going to be there, you're going to be there. That's it. Okay? And that kind of goes against the grain of today's world, doesn't it? Where it doesn't seem to matter if you're not all that reliable. Yeah, if you've booked up for, uh, oh, I don't know, um, church weekend away or something then uh, then that's what we're booked up for we're committed aren't we you know if you're booked up to play in a, in a band or something then that's what you're going to do and, and all the rest of it we're faithful people faithful to god first and foremost but we're faithful actually to uh, uh to one another uh, not just here but of course uh, in in the world uh, as a whole and it's not easy it's not easy to keep going in the face of it all to be faithful it requires a deep commitment so let's have an example. Um, no need to turn to it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 15, if you're taking notes, make a note of it, read it later on. 2 Samuel 15 is a great example of, uh, of faithfulness. There's a guy called Absalom, and uh, he's rebellion against another bloke called David, King David, as in the David we all know about, I guess. And, uh, uh, and this, this rebellion is kind of brewing, and there's a guy there called Ittai. Good name, Ittai, I-T-T-A-I, Ittai. And uh, he stays faithful to David. He didn't have to. He was a Gittite, okay? He was a foreigner. He came in from the outside. And he's in exile from his homeland. He's only just arrived. And yet he said to David, I'm going to stay faithful to you. And David says to him, uh, look, on, go back home. Don't get stuck in with me. I've got, I've got a rebellion on my hands here. You're a foreigner. You can go home. Look after yourself. And Ittai replies, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 21. This is great. He says this, As surely as the Lord lives... And as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. That is faithfulness. That is serious faithfulness. Come what may. For him it was faithfulness whether it means life or death. I've made my promise. I've made my commitments. And if you see a good example follow it of course for Christians faithfulness is, is preeminently our faithfulness to Jesus if you go to Kampala in Uganda uh, by the roadside there uh, there's a large cross marking where the Kampala martyrs walked to their death a lot of people got martyred in uh, Uganda under King Mwanza there one of them was a bloke called James Hannington after whom this church is named. And King Mwanza had a number of young page boys who worked for him, and he wanted these boys for his own sexual pleasures. But they'd become Christians, and they refused his advances. And in spite of his threats to burn them alive, these boys remained faithful. And eventually, 39 of them were chained together, and then they were marched off to Namagongo to death. And as they marched, one of the boys uh, uh, stumbled. He tripped over his ankle chain. He was brought down the others. And they were just ended up in a heap on the ground. And they laughed together at this ridiculous situation. 
And they went on and they sang hymns together with obvious joy. And then when they came to the place of their martyrdom, they were wrapped up in a, in a circle of, uh, of, or a mat of reeds. And then as they stepped into the fire, they were encouraged by their friends who said things like this, only a few moments and then you will be with the Lord. And we are allowed to do this because we follow him who carried a cross for us. Those young lads would have been in KO and they gave their lives willingly and joyfully. They remained faithful to their Lord Jesus. That is faithfulness to the end. It's not always easy. Next thing we see, uh, what I've called here that kind of faithfulness lottery. That doesn't sound great, does it? Christians don't want to be involved in a lottery. Uh, God's in charge, not your lucky star or the thunderball or whatever it is. Um, but it's interesting, in Philippians 2, look it up again later on, there's another example of faithfulness. There's a guy called Epaphroditus, verses 25 to 30. And he was being uh, uh, faithful to Paul, and he almost died for the work of Christ in verse 30. And, it, and Paul says there, he risked his life. Literally, it means he lotteried his life, hence the title, his subtitle. Or he bingoed his life. In other words, it says he was willing to, to play with his life, if you like. He was willing to prepare to lay down his life in order to stay faithful to his apostle Paul, to his Lord Jesus. There was a guy called um, Cyprian of Carthage who urged his people, Christian people, to stay in Carthage to care for the sick and to bury the dead in the third century plague that was spread across the city when all others were fleeing there. The Christians stayed put because they knew that their eternity was secure and therefore they committed themselves to being faithful uh, to their friends and the corpses of their brothers and sisters who were there. That is faithfulness. Have you been faithful this week? Have you been unfaithful this week? Do you want to grow in faithfulness? Following the examples of people like those Christians in Carthage? Well, ask God by his Spirit to grow faithfulness in our lives. Let's commit ourselves to him. Let's execute our old nature. Let's line up with the Spirit and ask him, please, Lord, make me like some of these other people I know who are being faithful in their lives. Next, gentleness. Or uh, it could be translated meekness. Meekness. Um, a broken-in horse is meek or gentle in the meaning of the word here. Uh, a horse is a big animal, isn't it? And, and strong, isn't it? Um, and uh, having been broken in, a horse wouldn't use that strength, at least not against you. Are you a meek person? Are you gentle? Do you have strength but actually you choose not to use it? Because that's not weakness. That's actually strength. That is meekness that actually the Apostle Paul is referring to here. So the first thing about it is it says there, it's a controlled strength. 
Jesus has to be the best example here. He is the best example, in fact, of course, isn't he, of all the fruits of the Spirit. Um, Jesus with strength and power, but there were many times when he chose not to use them. Of course, most notably before he was crucified, before Herod and uh, before the high priests and before Pilate and so on. Jesus wasn't powerless, but he chose not to use it. He laid down his life for us. Gentle, meek, controlled strength. And then next there is uh, realism. Realism. Gentle and and meek people are also realistic. We're open and honest about where we come from. You you have a look in uh, in Hebrews 11. There's a a big long list of people who uh, uh, have been men and women of faith. And it says there in chapter 24 that Moses, for instance, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then there are several examples of gentleness, of this meekness. So in verse 25, it says that uh, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And in verse 26, it says he, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the pleasures of Egypt. It's worth reading through that in Hebrews chapter 11. And then at the end of verse 27, it says this, why does he like that? And it says this, because he saw him who is invisible. So it's saying that Moses here was able to be gentle, to be meek in his life, to have strength but not put it into practice, to lay that aside on occasions, because he knew God, because, if you like, he knew his place. It's like being in the military, and if you were, say, a... uh, uh, I don't know, say you are a major in the military, knowing that, okay, you, you, have, you have authority over other people of lower rank beneath you, but actually if someone, a lieutenant colonel or a colonel or a brigadier or someone walked in through them, you would salute them because you knew your place, because you would need to respect them and show that in the salutes. And there's something very attractive about a man who has power but knows his place and therefore decides not to use that power because he knows who has the real power. We know who have the real power. So we don't have to exert ourselves, say in times or positions or uh, occasions of injustice and so on, because we know the one who has the real power who will sort that out one day. Sometimes, of course, it's right to, to challenge and so on. But actually, equally, there are times when it's right just to say, well, I can't do anything about this. But I know one day, the Lord will sort this. And I know my place as his son or his daughter. So a little bit there about gentleness. And then finally, self-control. Now, uh, let me tell you about uh, Enoch. Enoch uh, came from Nigeria. He had nine children. He was at uh, theological college with me. And... um, uh, well, he had eight children, and then when he was with us, his ninth was born. And guess what? He named them after the fruit of the Spirit. Except the, uh, the Nigerian translation of the final fruit of the Spirit, number nine, was not uh, self-control, but patient endurance. So when his little baby girl, his ninth child, was born, she was called patient endurance. Lovely, isn't it? I just want to know, how do you tell off a child who's being naughty when her name is patient endurance? But there we are. 
Now, self-control, it's not something that we see in society awfully much, is it? You know, if you were down West Street last night, I don't think the behavior of, the, of most folks down West Street last night, I guess, uh, was probably not something that you'd describe as being terribly self-controlled. But it's a good thing to have, isn't it? Self-control, one of the things about it is to make sure that the important is more important than the urgent. Uh, Self-control is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent and to recognize the difference between the two. It is the opposite of being impulsive. Are you impulsive? Are you an impulsive shopper? It's terribly easy, isn't it, to be an impulsive shopper on Amazon. Click, click, bought. Click, click, bought. Click, click, bought. It's so easy, isn't it? And all of a sudden, you know, next day on Amazon Prime, they're all coming through the door and they're all arriving and so on. Click, click, bought and so on. It's so easy to be an impulsive shopper. Uh, Anna and I have a friend from our previous church who said, if anything was a significant purchase, let's say over 50 quid or something, he would not buy it for two weeks. He'd wait. Mike Rolf is his name. And he'd wait for two weeks before he bought anything that was a significant purchase. So it helps not, I mean, that's wisdom, isn't it? And that's actually self-control, is recognizing uh, that important is more important than urgent. So uh, let's uh, remember that. Self-control is control of ourself. Self-control sees that God wants us to grow us uh, in faithfulness, for instance, so when someone comes up with a better offer for Friday night, or what we consider to be a better offer for Friday night and going out and so on, well, we say our, our self-control uh, says, no, it wouldn't be right to let down an agreement I've already made. Self-control sees the big picture. Self-control sees that God wants me to be holy, so he understands the temptations of going where we shouldn't go, say, on the Internet. And, he, and uh, self-control recognizes the gradual erosion of, of holiness and intimacy with the Father and the erosion of uh, uh, the quality of our marriage or whatever. And so self-control prays, Lord Jesus, I don't want to do this. The temptations are fierce. Please help me to get out of the situation. Self-control says, get out of the building. Take the dog for a walk. Go shopping. Run away from it. Whatever we need to do when we're faced with what can be frighteningly strong temptations. Can I say also, next thing here, uh, is that revelation results in self-control. Which is the opposite of what happens in some places. Some places uh, you go, uh, say some churches, for instance, uh, that you would go, to, uh, you would go along and, uh, uh, and they think it's a good thing to lose our self-control in the worship of God. Well, it, but it's striking, isn't it, that Whenever you have self-control in the New Testament, either by word or by example, it's connected with an experience of or a revelation of God. That's interesting, isn't it? So just one example, if taking notes again, 2 Peter 1. And in verses 3 and 4, it's talking there about God's great power and his uh, revelation and his great and precious promises. And then in verse 5, it says this, For this very reason, make every effort... So you've got the revelation of God, and it says, therefore, you've got to work hard on this. You've got to put every effort into it. It's, it's sweat, okay? And then it says, uh, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And the sentence goes on. 
But you see the point. The more we know of God, the more he will enable us to be self-controlled, to grow in the knowledge and the likeness of Christ. So don't necessarily think it's a terribly holy thing to say that we will lose our self-control uh, in, in terms of the um, understanding and the revelation of God to us. You want to be self-controlled? Be committed to Christ? Execute the sarks. Line up with the Spirit. Say to him, Lord, I am yours. And pray that the Spirit of God working profoundly in you will grow his fruit, which includes self-control. So much more I could say. Just one more thing here. Take strong hold over yourself. If you looked in 2 Timothy 2, and uh, uh, you may remember there in the first seven verses, uh, it talks about the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. And all three of those, to some degree, have got a, uh, an element of self-control in, the, in these examples. A soldier who doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs. Self-control. The athlete who will, uh, uh, won't receive the crown unless they compete according to the rules. An element of self-control. The farmer who works hard, keeping his eyes on the harvest. An element of self-control. So we need to take hold of ourselves and with God's help. I think this in many ways is a biggie for people in 2017. I think it's a biggie for us. Because our world is saying, in the world of alcohol, you lose self-control, don't you? Actually, the Bible is saying, don't get drunk. And the Bible is saying, we want to be self-controlled people. Yes, we can relax. We can have great fun. We can have a wonderful time. But we'll also be self-controlled over the things where we're tempted to commit sin. We will want to be in control of ourselves. Can I just finish with a final word about alignment, as it says at the bottom there. Keep in step with the Spirit. When I was at school, I was in the... Uh, um, the cadets, the RAF section, and we learned some drill. It was a long time ago now, so I won't. Uh, I, I, I might just be able to remember, but uh, but you know how to perfectly line up in rows and columns and so on and all the rest of it. And there was always one person that you lined up on. There's a bit just coming. There we are. And uh, and you see the guys there and the, and the uh, Royal Air Force people at the front there, uh, looking to the right, and they're just getting lined up on the people, so they're at the exact distance apart and all the rest of it. Now, for us, there is one person we all line up with, isn't there? His name is Jesus, whose spirit we have in our lives, who will help us to grow in Christ-likeness. And so as we go this evening, we won't be going just yet. We've got communion and some more singing and worshipping of God together. But I'd like you to think of a parade ground lined up with the Spirit, lined up with the one man in history who lived an absolutely perfect life. The one who had in his life perfectly formed the fruits of the Spirit. The one who was perfectly self-controlled. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit who wants you and me to be lined up on Jesus. And with the help of the Spirit, and only with the help and the power of the Spirit can we line up on Jesus and therefore grow in all the fruit of the Spirit.
Do you want to say to God, please, Lord, grow this fruit in my life and make me a fruitful Christian? By your spirit, Lord, please grow love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in my life. Please, Lord, would you do that today, this week, next year, and until my dying day or Jesus returns. Dear Lord, please would you help me to be committed to execute the acts of my sinful nature and to align my life with yours. Please, Lord, grow this fruit in my life and grow this fruit in your church. Let's be quiet before God for a few moments and then back to Dave.